All right, tonight's gospel comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts lead us only to you, God. Amen. All right, so let's start with a question tonight. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being irrelevant and 10 being utmost or supreme, 1 to 10. How much authority does Jesus have in your life? How much authority does Jesus have in your life? Now, authority can also be translated as power in this text. So let's ask ask ourselves that question. How much, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much power does Jesus have in your life? I don't know about you, but I've been in church since really before I was born. (laughs) My mother made sure I never missed an opportunity to be be there. Never really a time in my life when I've been unchurched. Plenty of times when I've behaved unchristian, but that's a different story, right? Never unchurched, and in considering these questions for myself, I was surprised at how really difficult they were for me to answer. Not necessarily because of the reductive nature of the question 1 to 10, right? But it's because how difficult it is for me to differentiate, to be honest even, about the power I claim that Jesus has, the authority I claim that Jesus has, and the extent to which I actually yield to that authority. And it gets even more confounding when I shift to the talk of power, right? Power. How much power does Christ have in my life or through my life? Honestly, what does that even look like? What does it look like? Each gospel writer would answer that question differently. And Mark's gospel, being the first to be written, had a lot to say about what the power of Jesus looks like. In fact, Mark wastes no time informing his readers of this very thing. The opening verses of Mark, you may recall from a few sermons ago, Jesus is baptized, right? Jesus is baptized, and we're told in that moment that the heavens are ripped apart. And the root word used there for the tearing apart of the heavens in Greek is schizo. That's right. Same root word that we have for our word schizophrenia. The tearing apart of one's sanity. Mark, from his opening verses, clearly intends for readers to know that the world as they knew it had ended. And a powerful new thing has commenced. In the next few verses of Mark, 
The Spirit then drives Jesus out into the desert for temptation. And there, the writer of Mark tells us that there's Satan, there's a few servant angels, and even a few wild beasts are thrown in for good measure, right? It's quite a story that we hear. And suddenly, Jesus then becomes uh, this, this gatherer of men, and he calls four men to come out of their everyday lives, out of their boats, and to go with him to fish for men. He's compelling them out of their mundane into this apocalyptic urgency in which he is moving himself. And the men do that. They leave. They leave their nets and everything behind immediately, as Mark tells us, over and over, immediately. This urgency is built into the first verses of the gospel. And then, here, still in the first chapter, we arrive at tonight's text. This is the first public act of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And the setting here is important. It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath and they are in the synagogue. Consistent with the rhythms of their life and the systems of their belief, these folks have dutifully shown up for worship, for prayer. And maybe they are there experiencing their ever-deepening need for God's liberative power and healing presence. But maybe, maybe they've shown up because that's what they do on a Sabbath. It's part of their weekly routine. They need community. I don't know what their motivations are, but I wonder, I wonder, whatever their motivations, if any of them actually expected to encounter the Messiah. But encounter him, they did. And they surely didn't recognize all that was going on in that moment, but they did recognize his power. Mark tells us they were astounded by his authority. Astounded. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who had such presence, right? Like the whole room just sort of turned towards them. When they spoke, it was as if angels sort of were singing along with them, right? Like, can you imagine the gravitas of Jesus in this place? And as if to underscore what's happening there in that gospel, Mark goes on to say, or tell us about this scene in which Jesus frees a man possessed by an unclean spirit. As if to say, Jesus isn't just teaching with authority. He's not just teaching. He is exercising incredible power. One commentator notes that the point of that early exorcism in Mark is not just to give us some random piece of information, right? It's it's signaling something important. This coming apocalyptic struggle. And Mark is inviting the readers into it. Come, be part of this. Be part of this world where the heavens have been torn apart. Where God is no longer contained on the other side. No, no, in fact, God has put on skin, got some skin in the game, and is entering into the every day of our lives with not only the authority to act, but is actually wielding incomparable power for the good of the most vulnerable. That apocalyptic-like beginning to Mark's gospel is telling us something important. What is this new world that we're entering into? 
Elizabeth Fiorenza, who is a New Testament scholar, she speaks about apocalyptic writings as those which invite their readers into steadfast resistance. Steadfast resistance of the worldly evil powers which threaten or oppress. I'd ask you tonight, where in your life, where in our collective lives are we threatened by unclean, destructive, perhaps even demonic powers? And to what degree, to what degree do the promises of God compel and empower our resistance? Do we have this hope that Mark is wanting us to enter into? Or are we showing up to church as part of the general social rhythms of our lives? Why are we here? Are we here because we have been out in that world for six long days confronted time after time with things that are destructive? And we find ourselves in desperate need to encounter something transformative. To be in the presence of something astoundingly powerful. Of hope that moves us beyond our current realities and into the realm of what can be. What God says will be. Do We need our spirits lifted. Liberated from anxiety or grief or anger. Lifted to that point of song that the psalmist talked about, right? I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, they sang. His praise endures forever. Do we have that hope? How do we imagine Jesus' power? And what is it capable of doing in the here and now? Let me ask it another way. What realities possess you? What possesses you? What consumes your energy? Sucks your life. Do you imagine Jesus' power to be greater than those realities? Do we even think to hold the two alongside one another, exposing our experience of this world to the light of Christ? That hope of divine promise. To do so, to do so would be liberative. An exercising of unclean spirits. And a filling, an infilling with the Spirit of God. You know, that's the promise Mark is making here. That's the promise Mark is making. And I love several things about this story. One, I love the fact that God's power will intrude into our everyday life. Mess things right on up. Change us. Utterly transform us. That's some good news, isn't it? Yes, it is. Second, I love that it's God's compassion that will disrupt and overcome evil. God's compassion will absolutely disrupt and overcome evil. And three, it's not just for the individual. It is for the community as well. Always for the community as well. And while we might find some Soft comforts in those truths, if we really start to parse them out, gets a little sticky. Because it will mean that that authority, that power of God aims to work not just for us, but through us. And that gets dangerous, doesn't it? 
I grew up Baptist, and in that tradition, there's a song, a hymn that I loved. I still love it today. You might know it as well. If you do, don't leave me hanging here. You don't want to hear me singing it by myself. But it goes like this. There's within my heart a melody. Jesus whispers sweet and low. Fear not, I am with thee. Peace, be still. In all of life's ebb and flow. Yeah, the chorus. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. That name that is above all names, right? That in all circumstances of life can Still me and ground me. Give me peace that passes understanding. But I'll be honest with you. My experience of that hymn, even that notion to some extent, has been somewhat Disney-like, right? A sentimentalized version of the power of Jesus. Truth is, I can really sort of picture myself like Belle from Beauty and the Beast, you know, in my church library. If it had a library, a ladder, I'd climb up on it and swing from Bible to commentary. There's within my heart a melody. (laughs) But that, that is not this altogether disruptive power of which Mark is teaching. Mark opens his gospel with his first public act of Jesus, upsetting the very patterns of worship, breaking religious rules and norms. The act itself draws screeching and convulsing from the man, which certainly speaks, right? It it heralds to this embodied corporate cry that's going to come from the community eventually because of what Jesus has done. Jesus, this is not how we do things, right? The authority and power of Jesus at work in our lives will intrude. It will intrude, will disrupt, and utterly transform us. And it will do so grounded in the love and compassion of God who promises to bring order out of chaos, to restore dancing flesh to the driest of bones, to bring life out of death. Know that power will be at work in us as individuals. It will always be moving to liberate all of God's children from oppressive, destructive powers from false hopes and secular securities. Such disruption, such deconstruction of the world's powers will cost nothing less than our lives. Because Mark here, he's opening his gospel with his powerful scene, but he closes the gospel with what? He closes it with the martyring. Resurrection, yes, but the martyring of Jesus. And Jesus' followers... In Mark's words, they are seized by terror and amazement. That's the story. They know that to follow him will be to risk it all. So maybe the first question we ask ourselves this evening is how much, how much do we actually want the authority and power of Jesus at work in our lives? Do we want it? I've got some good news and some bad news for you. Which do you want first? Bad? Well, it's a trick question, y'all, because it's the same thing. 
all a matter of perspective. The good news and the bad news is that Jesus, the authority of Jesus is ultimate and eternal. There is no limiting it, right? There's no limiting it. In fact, that's part of what Mark's gospel is trying to tell us. Heavens have been ripped open. God is not contained. This person that evil has possessed, attempting to claim as its its own, Jesus says, no, uh uh-uh, get out of him, he's mine too. Unlike the clean, unclean spirits, there is no boundary that Jesus has to observe. His authority is ultimate. Now that might lead you to wonder the same thing I do. Why then, Jesus, have you not fixed it all already? Right? Couldn't, couldn't you just demand that everything get in line and, and be golden streets and, I don't know, milk and honey? I wish I, wish I had a great answer for that. I don't. What I can say is that is that he never forces people into goodness, right? He can order evil around, but he doesn't force people into goodness. He compels us, compels us to remember our goodness. So perhaps then an even better question we might ask ourselves is to what degree are we willing to cooperate with the authority of Jesus. To co-create for the liberation of God's children from oppressive powers and systems. To what degree do we want to do that? Will we cooperate? Mark wants us to know that our cooperation begins in the spiritual realm. We're invited to see the world not as it is, but as God says it will be. To remember that the authorities of this world are not ultimate, and will not ultimately prevail. In an election year, that's particularly good news, right? To remember that it begins in the spiritual realm, but then also to remember that there is a practical outliving of this, that you are the called out ones, right? And to lean into then not just the sentimentalized version of Jesus, but the disruptive, countercultural Jesus that reclaims all God's children as beloved. Which, which is perhaps closer to the Disney story than I originally gave it credit. Because isn't that what Belle did after all? She saw the beauty in Beast, the incorruptible goodness that, there, that was there. Church, what if? What if, like Jesus and Belle, we sought the beauty in all of the beasts? Those that we encounter in the mirror? Those that we encounter at work and school. Those even that are seeking elected office in our nation. And those that follow them vehemently. What if we sought the beauty in all of the beasts and reclaimed from evil that which God always meant for good? How might we then be astounded by the power of Jesus at work among us? And transformed for the renewing of this world. God of astounding power, surprise us. Surprise us and transform us with your presence. Amen.